0: Hey, I want to welcome you guys all to church today. We're so glad that you are with us on this beautiful Sabbath day. I um, want to welcome our online audience as well, wherever you're watching from. I know a lot of families traveling, and we hope that you are joining us, or you should be joining us for worship today. Uh, we started a new series last week, and there was mixed reviews. Mixed reviews. Mixed, mixed not reviews, but mixed excitement for the series. The series is called Fasting fasting. And so last week we began this series to discuss and talk about this idea that we see in scripture called fasting. Now uh, the reason why I want to share, the reason why we're talking about fasting, it's not a topic that I've preached about very often. I've actually never preached about it and it's not a message that we often hear in church. But the reason why is, is really simple. Last December, as I was thinking about what are we going to talk about, what, 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 God, what do you want us to preach about, what do you want to teach about in worship, and just the thought came to me, fasting. It's as simple as that. I just felt God wanted this to be what we talked about, and it's been really cool to see the response. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. Now, what's, what's important to understand about fasting, and as I've been studying it, I became more and more excited about this topic, and I'm realizing that this is more and more relevant and going to be much more helpful than I originally thought it might be because fasting deals with three tensions. Three tensions that pretty much any follower of Jesus will experience. And the the three tensions are this. The first one that we dealt with last week was, I want to change, but I can't. We can all relate to that, right? I want to change, but I can't. The second tension we're going to deal with today is, I want to pray, but I can't. And number three, the third tension, which we're going to deal with next week, is I want to do good, but I can't. Um, It's really important. This is one of those series where it's really important that you listen to the first message in this series. Because if you don't, you're not really going to understand why we're doing this. And, like, the real power and value behind fasting so i'll do my best to kind of sum up some major points from last week but if you didn't hear it you weren't with us you didn't tune in last week i really encourage you guys to go to our youtube page our youtube channel wherever you look at uh, wherever you listen to podcasts look at rock fellowship and you're going to find this message there's fasting part one uh, but last week, we talked about how fasting was actually common practice for Christians for a really, really long time, like from the time of Jesus, um, even before that, like all these people fasted before that, the Jews fasted, but Jesus assumed that his followers would fast, and they did it for, for many, many, many years, up until kind of like the modern era, like the 17 1800s is when it kind of like fell out of Christian living, um but, but it was it was a part of Christian life. Like your weekly rhythm as a Christian or follow Jesus was you would pray, you would read the Bible and you go to church, which everyone is kind of familiar with, but fasting was also a thing that you did every single week if you were a Christian. Like that was just assumed that's what you did. Last week, we talked about that first tension, the first tension of I want to change, but I can't, and fasting kind of connects with that. It kind of intersects with that because what we talked about is the main reason, according to the Apostle Paul, why you don't change when you want to change, why in your mind, you have every intention to do something different or be different. The reason why you don't is because of what the Apostle Paul calls the flesh. You have this thing in you called the flesh, and it's getting in the way, and it's preventing you from making any meaningful changes in your life. And so Paul's, Paul's teaching on that is what you have to do to the flesh if you want to change, if you want to grow, if you want to develop and mature, you have to kill it, you have to crucify it. You don't manage it. You don't try to persuade it. You don't convince it. You crucify it and you kill it. That's the only way. And so fasting is one way you can begin to crucify or kill the flesh in your life. And so here's the idea. Fasting, as you guys know, it's really simple. It's not eating. And so the idea behind fasting is that when I choose not to eat, I'm telling my flesh, you're not the boss of me. I know you want me to eat. I know you want me to eat at, at, at this time, this late. You want me to eat that thing with high caloric content. You want, you want me to do this, but, but I'm going to push back. I'm going to say, you're not the boss of me, flesh. And you can begin to dominate it and master it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you put your flesh in its place. And you begin to, to, to develop mastery over your flesh. And what happens is as you begin to be able to do that to something as innocent as food you begin to develop mastery over other things that the flesh wants. Things not as innocent and things not as neutral as food. Things like like attention and approval, things like substances, things like pornography and addiction, those kinds of things. So as you begin to, to gain mastery through the power of the Holy Spirit over something as innocent as food, you begin to have strength. The flesh is weakened and you begin to overpower it in these other areas of your life. And so what it really comes down to, and to me, the, the most meaningful reason, the most compelling reason to try to flat fasting in my life is to see this, this happen in your life. What happens to you is that as the desires of the flesh go down, what inevitably happens is the desire for God goes up. And that looks amazing. Like that statement, like I want that. And I think that you're here at a church because some part of you, maybe not all of you, part of you wants that. You want the desires of your flesh The things that make you go, oh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I eat that? The thing that makes you in that moment to be like, I should really stop. I should really stop. I should really stop. You want that thing to go down, and you want your desire for God to go up. So that's what we talked about last week. So we we went a lot deeper. So I encourage you guys to check that out. It will get you really, really on the same page as everyone for this second one. Now today we are going to be dealing with prayer and fasting. You see in scripture praying and fasting go together all the time. And and, and that's not to say you, you, you can pray without fasting and you can fast without praying. But there are some times where praying and fasting together are just like a dynamic duo. It's like a perfect combination. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how prayer and fasting work together. We're going to talk about The different kinds of situations, different kinds of prayers for which in that moment, like, you should pray and fast. Like, that really, really, really works. And we're going to deal with a very difficult question. And the question that most people ask me about, actually, after the last sermon, as I talked about, you know, we're going to talk about prayer. The question, multiple people came to me to ask me, can you talk about this? And we're going to deal with this question. The question is, is God more likely to answer my prayers if I fast? I know that sounds like a silly question, but it's on your mind, isn't it? Because you read the stories, and you saw some things, and you've heard things from people who do it, and it seems like if I fast, there's a higher chance that God is going to answer my prayers, and we're going to deal with that question today. So let's pray. Let's begin. Father in heaven, thank you so much, God, for this opportunity to share this About fasting, something I'm very unfamiliar with, something I'm very underqualified to talk about. But Lord, we're not here to listen to me, we're here to listen to you. So, God, come and move. Holy Spirit, do your thing. This is your time. In your name we pray. Amen. If you grew up in the church, most likely you've heard this phrase in Bible study, small group, in sermons. You've heard this phrase before, like a bunch of times. The phrase is this with all your heart. You've heard this before, right? Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've heard this, to do something or to love something with all your heart. When Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He responds like this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, let's put it on the screen. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment commandment so this verse is a big deal right like literally called the greatest commandment not by other people but by jesus himself he's saying this is the most important thing love the lord your god with all your heart now if we break that down the first part says we love love the lord your god and i think most of us would be like i think i kind of know what that means like i think i kind of know what it means to love someone or something right like if i love someone then i'm like committed to it Right? It's not just based on what I feel I'm committed to. It. It's a decision that I've made to, 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 to be devoted to this thing. I, it, it means that I desire it. Something I love is something I desire. It's something, and, and with God, I know that if I love God, I should obey him. So I feel like most of us, when you hear this commandment, you're like, yeah, I kind of understand this idea of loving God. doesn't mean I really do it, but I, I actually conceptually understand. But then Jesus qualifies love for God in this verse in a very confusing way. He says, "Yeah, you got to love God and do all those things that you think you need to do to love God." But then he says, "You have to do it in a certain way." And what's that way? You have to love him with all your heart. It expands the meaning. It's 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 a qualifier. He's he's saying that there's a certain way to love God. And as beautiful as that sounds, like loving with all your heart, it sounds nice and wonderful, Let's be honest, it's actually very confusing. Because I want to ask that question what does it mean to love him with all your heart? Not just love him. What does it mean to love anything with all your heart? I don't know. And I feel like you probably have an idea, but you're not really sure what that means. But it's like the greatest commandment. And it's something you've heard in church over and over and over and over again. Like, what does it mean? To do love something with all your heart. What does it mean? What does it look like? And that's the question. What does it look like to love God with all your heart? Then you have this other verse in Jeremiah, a very, very famous verse in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is that phrase again. And if you think about the theological, the spiritual concept of this, this is huge. He's saying, I will teach you how to find God. You can't see him, but I know how you can find him, how you can locate him, how can you, you can encounter him, how you can interact with him. You can find him. And the way you do that is you seek him with all your heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to seek God with all your heart? That's so confusing. Is it just me that's like, yeah, that sounds nice, but I don't really know what that looks like and how to do that. But these phrases and these concepts are huge. The greatest commandment, finding God when he, you can't find him, seeking him, it all comes down to this phrase. With all your heart. But what does that mean? Thankfully, in Joel chapter 2, the prophet gives a prophecy, and he uses that phrase again, with all your heart, but he qualifies it. He qualifies that, and he gives us some form of an answer of what it looks like to do something to, with, in reaction, in response to God with all your heart, and it's not what you think. Or maybe it is what you think, because you know what we're talking about in this series. Joel chapter 2 says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. But look what he says next. With fasting and weeping and mourning. Weird, right? In this situation, God is telling the people, You can turn to me and repent with all your heart. And the way you express that, the way you do that with all your heart... Is fasting. That's so weird to me. It's so strange that that's the way. The way you repent with all your heart is by fasting. Now, if you were here last week, you will remember that I began the message saying that I am extremely underqualified to preach and teach about fasting. You guys remember that? And the two main reasons are I'm underqualified because, number one, I don't fast yet, 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 and I don't really understand fasting. And I just wanted to put that out there, and the reason I'm saying that is because this moment is when that's going to become very clear. Like you don't really understand this, and I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna pretend. I'm gonna say I don't really get this. But there's something really important that we got to understand here. What Joel says here is very interesting. It's very interesting, but also it reveals something very, very important about kind of like the our relationship with God, but also something very practical and helpful if you are someone. Who wants to follow Jesus. And here it is. I'm going to tell you what the truth is. Based on what we just read. I'm going to tell you what the concept or the idea is. But I cannot explain to you why it is what it is. I cannot. I'll tell you what it is. But I can't tell you why it is what it is. Because what Joel is saying in in that Joel chapter 2 verse. What he's saying here is this. Fasting is an outward expression of desiring something with all your heart. That's what he's saying there. Fasting is an outward expression. It's the way you show desiring something with all your heart. But I don't know why What's the connection between fasting and not eating and then desiring something? I don't know. I mean, I have some guesses, but, like, nothing confident enough for me to stand here and tell you, like, that's the reason why. It would really just be a guess on my part. All I can tell you is that from the scripture, that's what Joel is kind of saying. Fasting is a physical outward expression of desiring something with all your heart. And this is hard because this is very different from my experience. And it's probably very different from a lot of your experiences. Many of you grew up in a home that the way you show love and appreciation is by gorging yourself on a food. Isn't that, tr- isn't that true? Like when you were home, the way you showed love to your mom is you ate everything she gave you and you cleaned your plate, like that was, that was what it was. If you didn't eat, if you didn't finish it, that was more offensive to your parents. Right, we, we grew up, if you grew up in an immigrant home, like you know this, that the way our parents and the way we showed love to one another is through food and by eating as much as we could and appreciating it and just like, 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 like the moment, the best moment for some of those people is when you're stuffed and you're like burping, you're like, oh, that was so good, I'm so full. That's how we show our love and gratitude. But, but for some reason, with God, it's totally the opposite. It's different. It's not really about indulgence. He's like, you don't show me your desire for me through indulgence. For some reason, in the eyes of God, you show your desire for me through abstaining and not eating food. I don't know why, but it is there. It's there. But this is so huge because if you want to know physically behaviorally practically what you can do to seek and desire god with all your heart joel gives the answer he says part of it is fasting now this is not to say that if you don't fast you don't love god that's not what we're saying here it's not to say that but it is to say that fasting is one way to show your desire to show your love to god it is a way it's not the only way but it is a way that we see in Scripture. It's a way to express wholehearted, that's important, wholehearted desire for God. And the cool thing about fasting is, yes, it's an expression, but we got to understand this. Fasting is both an expression and an aid in desiring and seeking God with all your heart. So, yes, it's a way to show it, but by doing it, it actually helps to to build that in your life. It's an expression, but it's also an aid. It's also a manner through which the Holy Spirit can can enliven and bring up greater desire for God in your life. Like I said, I don't know why this is the case. It's just what it is. Apparently, to God, that's how he sees fasting. That's how he understands. That's kind of how he set things up. At the same time, we, especially our denomination as Seventh-day Adventists, we do understand a strong, that we have a strong connection between our body and our spirit. Right? We believe that we are unified beings. You are one person. You don't have a body, and then you have a soul. You are a soul. Like, that's who you are. Your body, your spirit, your mind, your emotions are all interconnected. And we understand that connection. So actually, if you think about it, we should be the first ones to understand that what you do with your body impacts your soul. And if you've ever been at worship and you see people raising their hands in worship, and maybe you're like, dude, those people are weird. Why are they doing that? Especially that one guy, that pastor over there. Like, what's he doing? Why is he raising his hands? And it may seem odd to you. Like, that's the idea, right? Because I'm responding to God physically with my body, it affects and connects with my spirit as well. Like, that's it. It's all connected. So we understand that concept, but we got to connect it to fasting. In the book called Fasting by Scott McKnight, I'm going to quote a lot from this guy. He says, fasting is the body talking what the spirit yearns, what the soul longs for, and what the mind knows to be true. He says, fasting is body talk. It's praying with your body. Not just praying with your mind. Like, we know that part. You know how to pray with your mind. But there's a way to pray with your body, and it's through fasting, is what he says. And so with that in mind, we're going to talk about how and when prayer and fasting really go together. And the first one we kind of touched on in that Joel chapter 2 verse, but we're going to go a little bit deeper in this. And and for me, among the three kind of situations that that we're going to talk about, this one is the most meaningful and exciting for me. So the first, first situation where prayer and fasting really go together is fasting and prayer for repentance, for repentance, one of the most common occurrences of fasting in the Bible is when people are repenting, they confess of their sins, and they need to, like, change. That's, we see that over and over again. There's so many, so many stories and so many examples. But I want to share with you one. It's the big one. It's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And it's written about it in Leviticus chapter 23. And so I want to put this verse up. Leviticus 23, verse 27. The tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Biggest holiday for the Jews, right? Like, this is it. This is the most important day. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Now, that word that is translated deny yourselves can also be translated afflict yourself or, strangely, afflict your throat is actually a version of that word. But scholars all agree that this is a synonym or another phrase for the concept of fasting, So on the Day of Atonement, where you go to God and say, God, I need forgiveness for all my sins, the ones that I've confessed and the ones that I haven't because I forgot about it, because I did it and I thought I was right, or because, you know, I I just kind of moved on with my life. Like, I need forgiveness for all of that. In that moment, he says, I want you to come with prayer and fasting. It's a part of the process of repentance and forgiveness. Again, Scott McKnight says this, the Israelites are told... To make their life uncomfortable for an entire day in order to bring their entire person into harmony with the gravity of sin and the need to turn from sin toward God. For me, this is really, really meaningful. And this is really exciting. This is one of the reasons I want to do fasting. Isn't that weird? This is one of the reasons I really want to do fasting. is because I don't know about you, but I've always felt like the process that I go through for like confession and forgiveness of sins is like, something is missing because i don't know how you guys do it but for me i do something wrong which happens very occasionally guys very very occasionally like once in a while i do something wrong i commit a sin and then i say god please forgive my sins and then i move on is that for the most part how we approach confession and forgiveness of sins God, in my mind, God, please forgive my sins. Sometimes I'll get specific, right? And that's good. You get specific, forgive me for this thing that I did, this, this, this moment or, or this mistake that I made, and you get specific, but sometimes you don't. And sometimes you do, you guys ever do the blanket, forgive me for all my sins? Like, just, just, let's just cover it all. Like, I don't even know what I did. I don't really feel bad about it. I don't even know if I made a mistake, but just in case, can we forgive all my sins, Lord? Like, I don't know about you, but isn't there something just kind of odd about that whole experience? Like, there's something missing. I I feel like the way we ask for forgiveness for God and the way we confess to God is like how we see, what we do with our children. You know, And, and even if you don't have children, you've seen this before. You know, you have two kids, and they have a problem. Someone throws something, something, hits something, and what do you do? You walk up to your kid and say, hey, say sorry. And they go, sorry. I feel like that's how we approach forgiveness. Hey, hey, say sorry. And they go, sorry. You're like, no, 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 no. You have to mean it. You have to feel it. You have to feel sad in the bones, right, in your bones. Say sorry like you mean it. And they say sorry. And then they don't really do it. And you're like, oh. right. We understand for our children, we have to teach them how to ask for forgiveness. We have to teach them to apologize sincerely. The thing is, we also have to learn how to confess and ask for forgiveness with God as well. Because we just go to God and be like, sorry, sorry for what I did. I don't know if it was that wrong, but I'm sorry just in case. There's something wrong with that picture of how I seek forgiveness the way I confess. And so what Scott McKnight says about this, this interaction with repentance is that fasting enables us This is really cool. Fasting enables us to identify with how God views a given event. And in this situation, we're talking about a sin. Fasting empowers us to, look at that word, empathize with God. He says that when you fast, you begin to feel about your sin the way God feels about your sin. It's so like that's really compelling to me because for me, as if, if I introduce fasting as a part of my repentance and, and, and confession of sin, I feel like what it's gonna do is gonna help me face the reality of my sin, the seriousness of my sin, and it's gonna allow me to sincerely, not just in my mind but with my body, sincerely apologize to God and to feel the full weight of my sin in order that. I may feel the full weight of my sin released by the power of the cross, right? Like, if if I understand the seriousness of my sin in that moment, I can also then really understand and experience the freedom and forgiveness that Jesus has brought to us. I feel like fasting, this experience of fasting, again, this is all in my mind, what I think is gonna happen, it's kind of a way to have closure for our sins. Not to say that we're never going to sin again, but in that moment, we can have closure, we can deal with it, and we can move on in freedom. Like, it's not so that we can pay penance. It's not so that we can earn it, so that we can feel really bad for it. But it's a way for us to deal with sin as it should be dealt with, and then be fully freed and forgiven by Jesus Christ and move on. Like, I feel like that's what's missing in my, my, my relationship with God is this part of it. So I'm excited to incorporate this into my life. So it, that's one key way to, to incorporate fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer for repentance. The second is this, another common example of fasting and prayer is fasting and prayer in a crisis. This is one that most people are very familiar with. We see this in the story of Esther. When Queen Esther, before she goes and risks her life to talk to the king, she declares a fast for all her people. It's a three-day fast, no food and no water because it's a crisis, right? Because remember, they're facing genocide. They're facing the the mass destruction of her people. And she says, I'm going to go to the king, but I may die because of it. So let's all pray and let's fast for three days. She does that. And another story in 2 Chronicles, you have this uh, story where, the, the Israelite kingdom is facing a dangerous enemy, and I'm going to put a, a couple of verses of this on the, store, uh, on the board. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verses one and two says this: "After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat." Okay, so three kingdoms versus one. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, and Gedi. So at their doorstep is a huge, massive army that they cannot beat. No chance. No human chance for survival. They're talking about mass destruction on their doorstep. And in that moment... He declares prayer and fasting for the people again. And they go to God and they record this beautiful, beautiful prayer. And in verse 3 and 4, this is what it says. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord because of this crisis. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. It's in this time of crisis when you're like, I need you to do something big, God. Like, there's no chance. I got no options. I, I'm, I'm run out of, 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 of ideas. I don't know what to do. I just need you, God. I need you to show up in a big way. Like, I straight up, God, like, this is moments where you're like, straight up, I need a miracle. I need a miracle, God, in this moment. In those moments, people in the Bible pray and fast. And I was just thinking about, like, What if we started doing this in response to the crisis, crises of our lives? I don't know how you respond to crises. But sometimes I feel like when a moment comes, when when something happens, we we stress out or we freak out. Or on on the other side of that, we like numb our pain and we numb our anxiety through whatever. Sometimes we distract ourselves and we escape to, to Netflix or entertainment or television or shows. Or sometimes we just rant and rave and rage out on people. Maybe we do it online in the comment section of some video or some post. Or maybe we rant and rage out on our own family members. This, like, this is how oftentimes we decide, this is how I'm going to deal with the crisis. It's out of my hands, so I'm going to grab hold of something I have control of. What if in times of crisis, instead of that, we're able to take a moment to pray and fast? Now, to be clear, fasting is not a hunger strike to get God to do what you want. Fasting is not Gandhi versus the British, right? It's not, that's not what fasting is. God, give me this thing. I'm going to starve myself, and you better change. You better do something. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is not that kind of, because you have these stories where, yes, God shows up in big ways, and it's amazing, But you also have stories when people pray and fast and things don't change. After King David makes his big mistake, so if you guys know King David, one of the greatest kings of Israel, he's he's driven by his flesh and he sleeps with Bathsheba. And then again, driven and controlled by his flesh, he murders her husband Uriah. And what happens after that is the prophet Nathan goes to him and says, bro, you messed up, man. Like, what are you doing? This is crazy. You, you did a really, really, really bad thing. You were controlled by the flesh, and you just did whatever you wanted, and now you're in this situation. God is not happy with you. And what happens after this, we see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16, he says, David pleaded with God for the child because his son got sick. He pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and, and spent the night lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elves of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. So he prayed and fasted, and the kid died. So, so we see from this, is it's not like something that you can do to like manipulate God. But I think what's really, really interesting about the two stories we shared earlier, when they prayed and fasted, when Esther prayed and fasted, and when King Jehoshaphat prayed and fasted, I want you to see how their stories ended, how that prayer, how that declaration, how that moment ended. In those moments, we have the two, maybe the two greatest one-liners of the Bible, or maybe just the Old Testament, but like you have these amazing one-liners, right? That we can quote from Esther after she prayed and fasted, the end of that, she has her famous statement where she says, If I perish, I perish. And in King Jehoshaphat's case, after he, he does this prayer and calls for fasting, he ends with this other great liner. What do you guys know what it is? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't it interesting that after a time of prayer and fasting, the conclusion of that time was not, God, do this for me. It was surrender. It was understanding. It was acceptance. It was an acknowledgement that they were not in control and they were willing to accept whatever outcomes God has in store for them. And then, interesting that even though they came to God in a time of crisis wanting a specific outcome, in prayer and fasting, they expressed their need, expressed their desire with their whole body, not demanding that God do what they want to do, but in the end, they were simply able to say, I surrender. If I perish, I perish. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Fasting is not a hunger strike to manipulate God. It is an expression of the desire, the deep, wholehearted desire that you have in your life because of a situation, because someone's sick, because of something happening in this world, because of something that you're facing that's bringing you stress and anxiety. You fast because that's what you do to express that to God. Once again, Scott McKnight says about fasting, fasting is not a manipulative device we fast because a condition arises that leads us to desire something deeply. We fast because our plea is so intense that in the midst of our sacred desire, eating seems sacrilegious. And I had a moment like this in my life. It was, um, it was before Tracy and I started dating. If you guys know anything about our story, our story was full of drama. It was full of drama and like crazy things. Like we just talked about it in the young adult group. And uh, when I told they were like, what? That's crazy, right? We had a really interesting story. But that I'm not going to get into. I'm not going to get into that. But there was a moment, there was a, a month where I had met Tracy before. And for a month, for some reason, I had to, I would not, I could not speak to her. And I felt obligated morally that I can't talk to her at all. And I'll tell you, that month was the most depressing month of my life. Let me tell you how sad it was. I would sit in my apartment, and I had this ghetto, ghetto apartment, had bad air conditioning, it was super hot, and I would sit in my apartment doing nothing, literally nothing, just sitting on the floor thinking about her and about how I wanted to call her about how I wanted to text her, but I can't. Why can't I? I want to. I want to so bad. And it got so bad. And This is actually very embarrassing of me. I, what I did was I pulled out a paper, and I began to draw a picture of her to comfort me for some reason because I couldn't. And in that moment, I did not want to eat. No snacks, no food, nothing. I just sat there. I barely drank water because I was so sad by what the situation that I was in. So I kind of get that. Like when you desire something in a way, it's something that is so painful for you, like you don't want to eat. Right? So that's somehow worked in us that, that, that sometimes we do want to express our desire and our grieving in this way. But it's not a way to trick God or to force God. So, so to answer the question from earlier, this is the question, right? Is God more likely to answer my prayer if I fast? Based on what we see in Scripture, based on the stories we see where God responds and provides certain outcomes when people pray and fast, and other stories where he does not, I'm going to give you the truthful, the truth, the simple truth to answer this question. It is simple and it is true, but it is completely unhelpful for you. The answer is this. Yes, no, maybe so. Is God more likely to answer your prayers if you fast? Yes, no, maybe so. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes not. I don't know. That's the examples. That's what we see in scripture. So I can't tell you anything other than that. But what I can tell you is that in prayer and fasting, God will respond and he will be moved by those who fast. He may not be moved to provide a certain outcome, but God does respond, and he is moved by those who pray and fast. And he, more often than not, will respond and be moved, and he may or may not change the thing to a specific outcome or outward change, but more often than not, he will respond by leading you to develop an inner change through prayer and through fasting. Now, if part of you is like, then why fast? Why would I fast then if I can't get God to do what I want him to do? If that's what you're thinking, you are not ready to fast. You probably shouldn't fast because you're going to get disappointed. And I feel like God is going to, on purpose, not answer your prayers to teach you a lesson, man. you got to be careful. So if you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to fast then. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't fast. Because clearly, if that's the case, maybe you don't really understand what fasting is really. But it is in that tension of of seeking God with your whole heart desire for seeking a certain outcome, but also surrendering at the same moment, it's in that moment, that tension, that guess what? Trust and faith are built. That's what happens in fasting. So the the third time to pray and fast that also you guys are probably aware of is fasting and prayer to know God's mind. Like, when you have a decision to make. And I feel like so much of prayer is not so much me trying to change God's mind, but it's simply for me to know God's mind. Like, I I don't don't care, like, this is what it's going to be. I just want to know that that's your intention. I just want to know your mind. Like, that will provide so much more comfort for me. And so some of you guys know this, that people pray and fast when they have to make a decision. when When they have to decide where to move or what job to take or who to marry or where to go to school or something like that. In Acts chapter 13, a really famous story... Uh, we see this in the early church. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, it's really easy for us to just like brush past this verse. It kind of seems like unimportant, not really significant that this is in the book, in the Bible. But I want you to understand the gravity of this moment. The decision here changed the church for the entire for its entire history. Like we are here today because of this moment. Because in this moment, a decision was made to develop ministry to the Gentiles. I don't know, and this is completely my, my, my conjecture or my thought or my, my, my idea, is that I don't know if the early church would have ever on their own made a decision. To lead, bring salvation to the Gentiles because they were all Jews. They're all Jewish Christians, right? And that's like they were the chosen people. They had the Messiah. So I don't know if on their own they would have ever made this momentous decision. But through prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit moved and led them to make a decision that they may have never made before. And that decision was to understand that Saul and Barnabas are set for the work that I have called them, which was the work to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And that's why we're here today. So this changed the course of the church. I don't know if they would have caught on to this vision or developed this vision on their own. So fasting and prayer, fasting seems to be one of the best ways to try to understand God's mind, to try to discern his will, to understand what he wants. And we see this in Scripture where people do this. And for those of you guys who have fasted before, I know many of you guys have. And some of you guys are like, did it for a long time. You like know all about it. And especially there's a lot of you who fasted for health reasons. One of the main, one of the most common like testimonies is when I fast, my mind is sharpened. Have you guys heard this before? I don't know if I believe you though. Like to me, the sharpening of the mind in fasting is like the runner's high that I also don't believe in. Pastor Jonathan and I talk about this, that all of you guys who say there's a runner's high, that you guys are actually lying to us, and you're just saying that so that we will run with you, and like make, and and, and kind of like misery loves company kind of a thing. Like I don't, I don't know if it's true. I've never gotten it. I've also tried not, I've never really tried that hard. But like this idea of like my mind being sharpened, it seems like that's kind of crazy. I've never experienced it, but guess what? I've never really fasted, so maybe that's why. But actually, you know, I, I totally believe it because there's actually lots of evidence, not just people sharing stories, but there's scientific evidence in scientific journals about how your brain changes through fasting. And, and I'm not going to get into all that. Maybe you can look it up and, and learn about that on the internet. But, but I, I, I've heard so many times that when you fast, your mind, like, is less foggy. It's less, like, distracted. You're able to focus. Like, uh, we, even just this last week in, in our small group, someone who was fasting was saying, like, I was more productive than I've ever been. So that's like, cool, like that's real, right? And I guess that's a real benefit of fasting. But here, let me ask you this question. What if that sharpness of your mind that you use towards your work to become more productive, less distractive, less foggy, like that in that mode, what if you leverage that and use that to try and seek and understand the mind of God? Like, is there a better moment for you then to try to understand God's will and try to hear God's voice than in a moment when your mind is the sharpest? So, yeah, it's awesome to to fast and have that clear mind and, and you can study things and you can retain all the information like never before. Like, that's really cool. And that's really great for your life. But what about utilizing that for your soul? Like, what do you think would happen if you took that sharpness of mind and used that to hear God's voice in your life? You may hear God more clearer at that moment than you've ever in your entire life. So why not leverage and use that to not just be more productive, which is great, to not just be less distracted, to just, not just to remember more things, but to hear and experience God in the most real way possible. If anything, that's the moment when you have to do it. What I'm really asking you guys, for those of you guys who already fast for health reason, let's shift it. Let's move it out of the realm of just health and move it to, to, to encourage and grow you spiritually. Now let's do that. So as we close, those are really the three times when we see in Scripture people really fasted and when they really went together. Right, repentance, crisis, and decision making. Those moments are like the times where you should really pray and fast and, and I just want you to to make that a part of your process when you need to repent when you are facing crisis, when you're making a decision, I want you to start including prayer and fasting as a part of the process as you deal with and respond with those things. Now it was really cool last week after I preached this message like the, the, the response that I got from the church last week was really mind-blowing, right? Because, like, again, I didn't know why we're talking about this. I thought most people would not like last week's sermon. I thought most people would be like, okay, when, how long is this series? How long is this series going to go? Can we just get through this? But it was crazy. Like, some of you guys were, like, super excited. Some of you were actually weirdly excited to do this. I was like... Why are you so excited? Some of you are very overzealous, and you're like, I'm going to fast now. I'm going to fast today. I'm going to fast now. I'm not going to eat potluck right now. Like, for some reason, it's like people are super duper excited of it. Others of you guys were like, not very excited. And you guys shared that with me, and I loved it, and I appreciate that. Now, as excited as some of you guys were, I want to remind you that the invitation to begin fasting, I am not making that right now i not, I didn't make it last week and I'm not telling you this week, start fasting this week. I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait to the very end of the series. As we try to understand the whole picture of fasting, that's when I'm going to ask you guys to fast because, and this is very, very important, it's because I do not want this to be a thing that you get really excited about, you do it for a little bit and then you stop doing it. That's what often happens, right? When we get really excited about stuff, that's what often happens. I don't want that to be what fasting is. Fasting is meant to be not just something you do for a little bit and stop. It is something that you integrate into your everyday life for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. I want it to be something that you start doing once or twice a week just because that's how you live now. Because that's what Jesus has wanted us to do. There's no commandment to do it. But we see clearly that it was a part of the Christian life and the life of a follower of Jesus. So if you have already started fasting, that's awesome. Keep doing it. But make sure it's for spiritual reasons. Try to shift it into a spiritual realm versus just a physical or health thing. And if you haven't and you're on the fence, that's great. Stick with us. We're going to learn more about it before we make a decision to try to start fasting. Now, what we're gonna do next week as we close this message, next week we're gonna deal with the third tension about how we want to do good. We wanna care about people more, but I just can't because, like, I got all this stuff going on. I don't really care. I I do things out of the, I do things to be good, but I don't really feel like I'm doing it for the right reasons. Fasting kind of touches on that as well. We're going to deal with that next week. But the second part of next week's message as we close is we're going to talk about the practically how do we integrate this into our lives. Like what do we actually do? Yeah, we know that fasting, one thing you do is you don't eat. That's pretty obvious, but what do we do instead? How do we fast in a way that is spiritually centered? How do we fast in a way that is Christ-centered? And so next week, I want to invite you guys back. If you can't be here next week, watch online, listen to the podcast, and we're going to explore that third tension, but we're going to get into the real details of how to apply this in your life, how to begin a lifestyle of fasting so that it can, it can lead to transformation. And we're going to touch on this next week. Like many things in the life of following Jesus, one time is not going to change everything. Like, like many things, fasting is cumulative. As you do it more and more, as you do it consistently, as if it becomes a part of your life, that's when you see the transformation. Not just because of one time or because you missed one time. So it's so important that we start off in the right way. So next week, join us as we conclude our series and as we learn how to actually develop a life of fasting that will last forever. For much longer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for challenging us with this topic once again. You know, part of me feels, Lord, as I was preparing, as I was preaching, as I was praying about this, God, that this could be, like, a huge moment for some people listening. Like, this could be like a life-changing moment. That, that was the day, that was the month, that was the time where they decided to start fasting and look where I am now because of that. Look how I've grown because of that. Look how I, I've gone closer to God because of that. Like This can be a life-changing moment for some people. And God, I pray that you would do your thing the Holy Spirit would do what only you can do. If that's the case for somebody in this room or watching online, God, I pray that your will would be done in that. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the tools, giving us the things that we need so that we can grow closer to you, that we can desire and long for you more. Please be with our church, be with those traveling, be with our online audience as well. Thank you so much for leading us. In your name we pray, amen.